everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 85, listener spotlight number 10, recorded February 6, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP.com. This with us, th- this with us, this with, with us this week. <laughs> with Spoken us, like a true professional. With us this week, we have Mr. Jeremy Jackson, uh, a, uh, coach a trainer and uh, a aspiring podcaster uh, and also a listener to the Taiwan Tech show uh, say hello to everybody Jeremy hello everyone uh, glad to have you with us welcome and to be here and uh, we're gonna talk with you a little bit later on about what's going on in in your school and in your endeavors but uh, first off we have to say happy birthday Sean yeah Today's date, the day we're recording this, February 6th, is Sean's birthday. He is now officially an old man. Yes, the big 4-0 has uh, finally caught up with me. And uh, I, I have to say, you know how everybody loves to say, like, 40 is the new 30 or the new 20 or whatever? No, I, I feel like 40 is the new 50. <laughs> so, you feel older than you should yeah really <laughs> yeah you know all the uh the, the joints ache and of course it's winter time so uh i guess that's to be expected but uh yeah i mean i feel pretty good i'm i'm perfectly happy with it it uh feels like another birthday so no profound uh you know need to go out and buy a, a corvette or anything I get to well, not that you could if you if you wanted to, right? Right, right. <laughs> I get to make fun of you for another uh, uh, seven weeks or so, where you where you're forty and I'm not. So, right, yeah, well, yeah. That's uh, what most people probably don't know is we are very close in uh, age. Right. So, last year when uh, on his birthday when he turned thirty nine when he came into work I gave him uh, on his desk a uh, a can a six pack of Insure and a bottle of Geritol. Yeah, I still have pictures of that, by the way. For which he said thank you and proceeded to eat a a drink and ensure because he hadn't had breakfast that morning. Yeah, I love those things. (laughs) They make you feel better. I mean, it's the it's a meal in a can, you know. And I took every single one of those Geritols. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I take a multivitamin every day. I think that's a part of being healthy. Yeah, I do too. And uh, yeah, I used them all and I, I'm on another bottle, not Geritol, but a multivitamin. So uh, yeah, I guess tips from the Tightwad Tech, you know, take your vitamins, especially well, if eat much bacon and smoked meat as we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if uh, if you're a, like Ray Kurzweil, he, he eats dozens, hundreds of, of vitamins and supplements a day. Yeah, I uh, I watched a uh, biography on Ray Kurzweil, and yes, it's like hundreds of pills he's taking a day. Yeah. Um, and then I've uh, also read his book, which is uh, or one of his books, which uh, is called "The Singularity Is Near," and it it talks about uh, basically how uh, man is exponentially getting closer to. Uh, having the computing power and computers uh, of the human brain. And uh, he's a pretty amazing man. I mean, he, you know, you watch his biography. It's amazing. So if he's taking 100 vitamins a day, does he eat anything? Well, it's like before and after and during every meal. He's constantly popping peel, pills. It's it's kind of amazing to watch. Really. Yeah, they, they showed him at like a, a, like a 
White House uh, social function or something. I mean, you know, he's hanging out with the luminaries of our society. And in the middle of this thing, he's reaching in his pocket and, you know, popping pills uh, because he's got, you know, he's got them all broken down by, you know, he takes this one at this time. And, you know, it's just crazy. Crazy like a fox, maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's just holding on because he really thinks that we are not very far away from being able to seriously extend the human life uh, with nanotechnology and things of that nature. And, but he's he's up there in age. I think he's like really holding out, like kind of hoping he can get to that point, you know? Yeah, I don't know how old he is. If only there was some sort of uh, uh, global information source where I could find that out quickly. Uh, that would be handy, but uh, yeah, some kind of thing that you could just search information maybe like maybe a web of interconnected computers or something. <laughs> uh, but you know, and what by the time this goes to the air will be uh, old news. Uh, Facebook uh, is imminent has an IPO imminent. Uh, don't that's just some tech news off there out there. I don't really have any uh, comment on that other than to say uh, it's probably going to be overvalued for the next couple of years. So that's my stock advice to you is either don't buy it or don't expect it to go up anytime soon. It's probably right. going to start at a record high, drop off for two or three years, and then come back. That's the way tech stocks IPOs almost always do. Right. If they ever retain, regain their value. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see here. I, I got to jump ahead, Mark, only because I, this caught my eye and I really want to see uh, what you're talking about. You've succumbed to gear lust. Gear lust. Uh, last, uh, last episode, was it maybe two episodes? Right. Professor Messer was, was, was with us. That was last week, right? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, and I was jealous of his microphone. So I went out and bought myself a fancy schmancy Heil PR 40 microphone that all the real podcasters have. It's Leo Laporte approved. So it must be awesome. Uh, right. And so I just, I wonder, do I sound any different at all? Probably uh, not. I, I can, I can definitely tell the difference. So I, you know, I could tell a lot more, uh, what was it during the periodic table was the first right. show that you used it for, or at least first show that I was on that you used it. And I can certainly tell a difference there. It sounds like you maybe did some adjusting or something because it sounds a little bit different this time. Uh, I didn't really change much. Okay. That yeah, sounds good. You sound good as usual. You got a great radio voice. So. Why? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it was just. I always encourage people to start out small, and and build gradually, and so I, I just thought that it was time to treat myself to something. And as far as professional quality mics go, this one is not expensive at all. It's three hundred dollars ish. I mean, I got it for less than that uh, oh. on on Amazon. Um, so, depending on. The, you know, the, there are some mics that are thousands and thousands of dollars. So this is probably the, the low-end, entry-level pro mic. Uh, but it, it sure is good, in, in my humble opinion, anyway. <laughs> if I, I like I'm jealous. Yeah, well, that's the important thing, as long as I made you jealous. I got to guess that our, our guest is, too, since he's a fellow podcasting enthusiast. Yeah, I've actually, I'll talk about this later, but I've written grants and you know, I was looking at all the different microphones, and I was like, "Man, there's three, four hundred, five hundred dollar mics. These are really cool." But at the same time, my podcast is for high school students, right. so it's kind of like, uh, "Do I really want to have this equipment where they can knock it over?" So I can I can tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could do a quick 
A-B analysis if you wanted. Um, it might be a little noisy while I swap out the cable. Is that worth the effort to do or no? I'd be curious to hear it. I mean, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight is podcasting anyways. I'd really you, be interested. You do the Obama story, and I'll swap out my mic. Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, I, I found this. Uh, I can't even remember where I found it this week, but uh, uh, in research for my various shows, I uh, found an article, and uh, let me pull it up. It's from the Washington Post, and I, I, I had a really hard time figuring out what their angle was on it because it starts off, it sounds like they're kind of uh, railing the president, but then later on in the article, I'm not so sure. But they talk about uh, how the Obama administration came out within just a couple of weeks of uh, Apple's announcement about their iBooks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they, they come out with an announcement that they're making a really big push for digital textbooks. So the Washington Post even made a point, which, you know, uh, not exactly a... Uh, uh, a conservative well, rag. There you go. That's that's what I'm looking for. Uh, so, yeah, they start off by saying it's kind of funny timing that they're all of a sudden coming out and uh, saying this and making this big push. And uh, uh, But then they go on further in the article to talk about how great it is. So, uh, I don't know. It just seems kind of funny to me. I mean, what do you think, Mark? I, You know, I don't – it doesn't – I don't see the comparison there, honestly. I, I – the, you think it's just uh, just a funny coincidence? As much as I am want to find conspiracies wherever possible, I just don't see it on this one. I don't think it's that big a deal. Uh, it's just it, it it's just the timing that it was. And by the way, this is my old microphone in roughly the exact same position that the new microphone was. So this is what I sound like with the uh, uh, Audio Technica M4000S that I've been using for years now. So. I, you know, I don't know. I can tell a little bit of a difference. I don't have the same ear that you do, Mark, but uh, that one sounds like it has a little bit more on the high end, uh, whereas the new one sounds a little more, uh, I guess, bass heavy. I don't know. The, the lows seem to come out more. Yeah, it's a, it's the other one is a very mid-range instrument. The, there's not a lot of highs and not a lot of lows. It's, it's very mid-range. This one is a much more rounded sound. This is more like I actually sound like in real life. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. So anyway, uh, I don't think Obama is trying to ride on Apple's coattails or anything like that. I really, I just don't see it that way. Um, but I think this whole push toward digital textbooks in general is wrongheaded if we're not going to change the content of those textbooks. If we're just taking, and I said this when we talked about the uh, the uh, new iBooks thing, if we're just going to can the same content in a different method it's pointless anyway and that's what everything i've seen every politician espousing is the same content the same stuff that we've been doing for 40 years just now on a, on a tablet instead of between on paper so on, on that I know, I know you said uh something that would be revolutionary would be allowing the kids to write the textbooks but <laughs> if they did that how are they going to get the the facts well how do you get your facts do you go to uh, textbooks uh, well, when I was in school, I did, but, right. but how do you do now? It today? Typically, we'd go to the internet. You go to the internet. You do research. You uh, you you do experimentation. But typically, where the where's the first place the kids are going to go is Wikipedia, right? <laughs> and that's there's a lesson to be learned there, right? It doesn't take long 
using Wikipedia as an author authoritative source to find out that Wikipedia isn't an authoritative source. But then again, I never considered Funkin' Wagnalls an authoritative source either. You know, it's a, <laughs> uh, there are just probably as many fact checkers or more on Wikipedia as there are at Encyclopedia Britannica because every uh, Poindexter in his bedroom is a fact checker on Wikipedia. There's these guys staying up late at night saying, somebody's wrong on the internet. I have to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it you know, what concerns me about this is, is more the fact that it seems to be moving toward being a closed environment as much as possible. Uh, I mean, we've got, uh, companies that are known to do this, you know, Apple uh, wants to create a closed environment and Pearson tries to, uh, as much as possible, become uh, monopolize everything in education. Uh, and, and that concerns me. I think uh, it needs to be more in a, in a open environment where uh, one, it has more flexibility, which it's going to need because every state has their own textbook requirements, right? I mean, right. In, in Texas, they want, um, uh, you know, they, they, well, one, just being in the Bible Belt, and that's always something of debate here in Texas, but uh, it's hotly debated every time they, they look at the textbooks again as to what's going to be allowed in the textbooks. But that's going on in every state. Uh, so it, it concerns me moving towards a closed environment rather than an open environment that's more flexible. Well, and, and while we're on that story, uh, Apple this week backpedaled a little bit on their end-user license agreement, the thing that we railed about a couple of weeks ago. Um, they basically came out and said, okay, we don't own your content. And they didn't say it was a mistake. That's, that's what right. I think was important. They didn't <laughs> say we never intended to own your content. They said, all right, we're fixing it so that now we don't say we own your content. What they say is essentially anything in the iBooks format is theirs. You can't sell a dot iBook or whatever the uh, extension is anywhere but on Apple's website. You can use their thing. You can create whatever you want. You can print it out as a PDF. You can sell that. But if you're going to okay. compile it down into an iBook format, there you're going to sell it through them and through them only. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, they're the ones that developed it and, you know, uh, did all the research and development to put it together and uh, get all that into place. They have their marketplace that, you know, rightfully uh, they should be able to make some money off of. I don't have a problem with that. As long as people can take their content elsewhere, should they choose to. Yeah. But I honestly think they got their hand caught in the cookie jar just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly looks like they tried to slip one by and see, see how it went. <laughs> But, you know, uh, you can't rail Apple too much for that because, uh, you know, it's not like Microsoft or any other company uh, large like that hasn't tried to do the same type of thing. Well, so. and that's just boilerplate legal jargon. It's probably in every contract ever written, you know, and, and this time just nobody caught it before it went to the public. Right. By the way, one annoying thing about the Heil PR40 microphone is there's no off switch. So if I need to adjust it or or cough or do something like that, I have to. I can't do that. I I've accustomed to just switch, switching off my mic. I can't do that anymore. Apparently, they think that people who can afford this microphone don't make mistakes and therefore would never need to turn it off. Right. Sure. Can you, could you just turn the signal down? Would that work? I could, but that's less graceful than just a quick off. Gotcha. But yeah, 
that's what I've been doing when I've needed to make a change. So uh, one last thing that I know Sean and I both have experienced with, and I want to see his take on it as compared to mine, but a new service that uh, is still in beta called BitCasa. And actually, uh, for their Windows app, they call it Alpha. They don't even call yeah. it Beta. It's Beta on the Mac. It's not existent on Linux, and it's Alpha on Windows. And and they're promising all of those to come in the future. But BitCasa is uh, like Dropbox or uh, SugarSync or any of those things, but they have some unique uh, deduplication stuff in there that allows them to offer infinite storage. There is no limit. You can put as much as you want to on there, and if you happen to have the same file as somebody else, they manage to keep only one copy of it on hand. It's it's fairly clever the way they do it with their whole checksumming and all that sort of stuff. So they don't know what your stuff is. It's encrypted. They never see it, but they can recognize if it's a duplicate and only store one copy of it. So, Sean, what has your experience been with BitCasa in their alpha on Windows? Uh, well, uh, for the most part, I love it. Uh, very much like Dropbox, like you said. Uh, I had to reorganize some of the stuff on my computer so that I kind of am saving everything in, in one location. And you don't really have to do that. You can tell it to back up whatever files you want. Uh, for me, I just find it easier to say, here's this one file where I store my stuff, back that file up. Um, and then I have subfiles underneath that. Uh, and it did all of that great. Um, the initial backup, uh, I want to trying to think exactly how much I had, maybe 125 gigs. Uh, it all went up and I double checked it. It has a nice, uh, you know, you can obviously access it through the software on windows or you can go through a web interface. So, you know, if you find yourself at somebody else's computer and you need to get to your stuff, you can get to it that way. Um, a couple of things I didn't like, uh, I swore I didn't see a checkbox for this or if so, I'm always good about turning off those check boxes about, you know, uh, start up when windows starts up or uh do this in my web browser or you know i i don't like that stuff and it's still every time i start my computer now firefox starts up and it goes to bitcasa's uh web page hmm. uh so i wasn't real happy with that and i certainly don't remember seeing it in the setup process uh and i, I haven't taken a whole lot of time i'm sure i can figure out how to how to stop it but it, it's a little frustrating uh, two, my computer is blue screen twice since I, since I installed it. Um, and I don't know for sure that that's related to BitCasa, but, uh, in probably six or eight months prior, my computer had only blue screened once. So in about a week it blue screened twice, I'm guessing it might have something to do with it, but, um, well, your experience is significantly better than mine because I've never had a single file upload to BitCasa. Not really? Really. Mine's syncing perfectly. Yeah. Uh, I have tried on uh, two different computers, uh, both at home and at work, so two different networks, and I have not a, had a single file upload to BitCasa even once. Wow. And I was just trying to, like, right now, I can't even get it to open. There's a little icon in my system tray. Clicking it does right. nothing. Right-clicking it does nothing. If I go to the start menu and try to launch it, it says there's already an instance of BitCasa running. So... Uh, my experience, uh, and we have very similar laptops uh, running Windows 7 64-bit with comparable RAM, uh, but for me, it's a swing and a miss in a big way. Huh. Yeah, it's been, uh, I love it. I, I can't say 
uh, good enough things about it. I mean, even with a couple of blue screens, and one of them I'm pretty sure was related because I think I, I clicked on my local folder that is synced to BitCasa, and I just clicked to open it to go into it, and uh, my, my computer blue screen. Um, and the second time, I, I, I can't remember that it was that directly related. But um, Have you out- tried to, to archive anything on a network drive yet? Uh, no, I have not done anything like that. I'd have to do that from, uh, from work and I'm not sure I probably would run into some firewall problems there. I haven't run into, I haven't seen anything in their license agreement about whether that is or is not okay. Uh, I know like, for example, Carbonite that I use to back up my home PC just simply doesn't recognize external drives. BitCasa will recognize them. But as I said, I haven't gotten a single good file to back up from anywhere. So I, I can't really verify whether that is works or not but it would be interesting because um you know like people have a home network right Um, right and if you've got a san over there that's running linux you don't want to have to put bitcos on right now you couldn't put bitcos on it so if you could just map it to your you know your dry your local machine that would be awesome but at this point i haven't experienced it so anybody out there who has tried bitcasa uh Try it on a network drive and let me know how it works. I'm going to keep playing with it because I, I think the service is really going to be outstanding once it gets its big boy panties on. Uh, but right now, it's it's very much um, a service in the raw, at least on the Windows side. Yeah, I, I have a uh, I have an external drive with probably about 200 gigs on it that I haven't tried yet. So uh, I'm curious to see what happens with that. Can I back up straight from that? Or will I need to migrate all that onto my computer first, which, which would kind of defeats the point of having an external drive. Right, exactly. So uh, I haven't tried that out yet, just local files on my computer. So, uh, yeah, but I, you know, I love it and uh, check it out. Uh, they seem to be opening it up uh, little by little. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see just what kind of resources they have behind that as far as storage space and everything else. And if you en- do end up doing that, uh, please don't re- be reliant on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so. bitcasa, B-I-T-C-A-S-A dot com. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, not unlike Dropbox, we can't say, hey, use our referral link and we'll get more space. There is no limit to space. Right. So, I think it's a it's going to be a cool thing, but I wonder how long they could keep up that infinite space thing. I mean, Google gives you you know twenty six or whatever gigs in your Gmail, but people don't store lots of stuff in their Gmail, so most people aren't using it and never will use it. Uh, whereas you know, like the Google Docs uploads, where people actually will use it, they keep that at two gigs. So I wonder um, how Bitcasa is going to be able to manage uh, all those pirated copies of Hurt Locker. Of course, there'll only be one, right? With their deduplication, right. there'll only be one pirated copy of BitLocker uh, or Hurt Locker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see. I mean, I like to get in early on this stuff because, you know, uh, might luck out and like be grandfathered in or right. uh, maybe get some sort of special deal or whatever. Or, you know, uh, if I can manage to get all of my or the vast majority of my stuff up there and then uh, two years from now they start charging Maybe they'll only charge for what I, you know, store after the fact. I don't know. So, all right. So enough about all that sort of stuff. Let's get on to our listener spotlight and start actually spotlighting a listener. Uh, Jeremy, Coach, what do you want to be called, Coach Jackson, or? or, or? Uh, well, I mean, the kids call me Jackson. You can call me Jeremy. Jer- whatever makes you happy. Uh, so tell us a little bit about you 
and how you came to be here tonight. All right. Well, I am just a, I'm a teacher. I used to be a biology teacher, but now I'm a sports medicine and athletic trainer, uh, sports medicine teacher and athletic trainer. And I've always been kind of interested in the technology part. You know, I've written several grants for the learner response systems, for the Promethean board, for uh, in-sealing audio, those kind of things. And it was, it was kind of always ahead of the curve. And, and so they asked me to go to TCEA about two, three years ago because they had a whole bunch of technology funds left. And, you know, I was one of the people they asked to go. And so I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. So the next year they asked me, or they, I submitted a proposal and I got to present at TCA last year. And last year was where I saw you guys uh, doing the podcast live. And I learned a lot because I was already working on podcasting. But before I ever saw you guys, it was, you know, we had a flip video. And for me, that's what it was. I had to have a video and record the students. And that was making my podcast. But that's kind of, that's how I started was with, with just, it was something new. It was something cool. It was a way for to record the kids, to give them something to own um, and possibly share with parents. But the, what really revolutionized what I'm doing is seeing you guys do this live at TCA. So. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that a couple of times before. In fact, uh, last summer, a school hired uh, Sean and, and me to come out and teach them about podcasting. And they, too, were asking about the cameras. What, what camera should I use? And uh, what's the best uh, uh, video editing software? Well, I can't really answer that because we don't do that. Uh, the camera I'm using is the one that came with my laptop. And there's only two people watching it right now. Uh, podcasting is an audio medium primarily. Uh, so it's interesting that there is this perception out there among teachers that it is a video medium. Yeah, definitely. And I just don't know. I don't know why that is, but it's just there. And I guess it's kind of a newer thing and people just don't know. Yeah. Uh, so what uh, we, we did, a, uh, for those who don't know, who, who may be new with us this year, last year, Sean and I went to uh, the Texas Computer Education Association conference uh, which i will be headed out for first thing in the morning uh yeah and, uh, it's uh, always the first full week in um february february yeah and it's uh the second largest technology conference in the world the largest in the country uh and generally education technology say again education technology education te yeah i mean it's not it's not uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, comdex or, or something like that no but uh, yeah, the second largest uh, education tech conference. Uh, you start putting all those qualifiers on it. It's like, yeah, the second largest <laughs> education tech conference in Austin in February. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, generally between ten and 15,000 geeks like yours truly descend on the Austin Convention Center for a week every year. And last year, Sean and I did a uh, presentation, a 90-minute session called Podcasting Live. And Jeremy was one of the seven people who showed up. Um, actually, it was, there was probably 50 or 60 there, but it was a, it was a small uh, small gathering. And uh, we, we did a live show from there. Well, not live. We recorded it live. Live on tape! Uh, we recorded a show there. and, and Yeah, we were, we were limited by their... Uh, their bandwidth. If, yeah, their iffy bandwidth. Right. Uh, 
Uh, well, you know, there's nothing iffy about it. Like I said, if you get 10,000 people there, geeks, there are 30,000 devices on the network. Right. So it's hard to blame them for having bandwidth issues. Uh, and Jeremy uh, sort of uh, took up the gauntlet from there. And so tell us what you've been doing podcasting-wise in your school since that time. Uh, well, the first thing I did was uh, wrote a grant because I was like, hey, I need a microphone. I need a soundboard. Um, and I, I kind of already knew about that stuff because I hope I, at church and I've kind of taken the lead in the audio video stuff there. And, you know, we have a really nice Yamaha digital board there, but at, at school... I obviously can't afford that. And so um, I wrote a grant for Donors Choose, and they have a, a limit of like $300 for your first grant. And so I had to get, you know, a microphone or two and a stand and a soundboard and a cables to hook it all up for less than $300. So the first one, like you were just saying, I think in the, before we started recording, talking about working your way up through the equipment ranks, you know, it's, it was just real basic. So I got that first grant and then we're like, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll just take pictures and make photo stories. Um, and, you know, that'll be kind of our thing. We'll just record processes because as an athletic trainer, we do a lot of um, uh, skills. So like taping an ankle or uh, stretching out a hamstring or performing CPR. And so what I wanted to do was create tutorials for the students to be able to view on YouTube or a teacher website. And to download those onto their iPod, MP3 player, phone, whatever. Um, and so that's how, that's how I really started was just with the, uh, photo stories. But then, you know, I, I listened a little bit more to you guys and it's like, okay, you know, I think I can do this. And I emailed Sean and he sent me the show notes for your older copy. It's, you know, the show notes. And so I, I started, okay, well, let me figure out what I can do. And then I started working on bringing in some guests and, you know, even just starting with the people that were around me, the people that worked in the district, the other athletic trainers, getting them to come in here and their stories and where they came from and where they planned to be. And so it was really just the other athletic trainer and I. And so now we've transitioned into where the students are an, an active part of the show. So it's it's gone from like one mic, one soundboard to where I have two soundboards and about six mics set up. I mean, most of them have, you know, the pop screens, all that stuff. Like, like I said, I really, I really learned pretty much everything I know about this from you guys about the whole show part. So, well, and uh, we we have uh, after that, actually before and after that show, I posted a list of all the equipment we use um, on the website, and I remember you sending me a couple of emails and and asking about the mixer and and the mics and that sort of stuff. So, I think it's safe to say that you have largely a clone of my setup here right uh pretty close yeah i have the same the alias 8 usb 2.0 um mixer board and then you know microphones i'm not sure if they're the same microphones there or whatever was available because a donor's shoes you have to buy the technology stuff through best buy okay and, and so it was what was available within the budget and those were like i think they're called midnight blues um but they're audio technica something right and so now uh, Jeremy, I'm, I'm curious. So you, you went and you got all this stuff and you set it up. Uh, what was the learning curve like? I mean, how, how difficult was it to get it all set up and familiarize yourself and feel comfortable with it? I mean, you had to turn around and teach this to students. So, Well, yeah, that was the, the thing. I, as far as hooking it up, like I said, I, I've done that at the church. So I know, 
you know, with the XLR cables, those go from the mic to the board, and I know to turn the gain up and those kind of things. But but I had a really small class, and I was like, hey, you know what? We're just going to try this out, and, you know, if it works, good. If not, we'll try something different. Um, you know, I had problems with, I'm, I'm running on an older computer, and it didn't have, I think it had one gig of RAM, and so uh, recording onto Audacity was was not always completely consistent and um you know sometimes it would just take time or or whatever so i learned a lot and i'm still learning and even you know talking right now on this show i was uh, asking mark about recording uh and the signal's always really low so you know I, i'm hoping to go and maybe maybe learn some more at tcea um about how to use google docs to, to help with the classroom but as far as the podcasting um more or less from April of last year is when we started till now. That's when I've, I've really learned a lot of stuff. We've finished 14 episodes because uh, we don't do anything during the summer. Um, and so it's really, it's really come a long way. So tell, tell us about those 14 episodes. You said you started out with a coach and then you've gotten students involved. How many how many podcasts have the students themselves done with you just sort of in the in the gear in the wings well actually they've only done one where they were um running the show and that was the last one where they interviewed me uh, and that's because you know I have to teach them the process step by step and if you work with high school kids you know that sometimes they they get it and sometimes they don't and like today this week when I'm going to be gone their assignment is to create a student podcast where they're doing the entire thing, they're creating the show notes, they're creating the, they're doing the, they're turning on all the equipment, recording it, producing it, and then they're going to do everything but put it on the website because obviously I have to log on to the website to do that. Um, and so they've done one where they did all of that stuff with me right there. And so the other ones were, like I said, the other athletic trainers at the high schools. We talked to a chiropractor, we talked to a sports psychologist. Um, it's called the Sports and Medicine Broadcast. So the point of it is to promote athletic training. And so we try to bring in people that are going to be beneficial to the students, but also beneficial to the profession of athletic training so that anybody uh, involved in sports medicine would be interested. Does that answer your question? Sure. I, I want to jump in and just say uh, I found a couple of really interesting benefits to it uh, when I ran through it. And this is with middle school students, but... Uh, one thing, and I'm sure they, they kind of bemoaned it at first. And then after they did their first broadcast, they saw a little bit more of the value in it, but was, uh, the show preparation. You know, there's a lot of prep that goes into a show before you actually turn all the gear on and get in front of the mics. And, uh, so learning how to outline a show and, uh, we did that all in Google docs and it was collaborative, but, uh, you know, the first sets of show notes that they did were very rough because they didn't really have the whole concept down yet. And, uh, you kind of have to go back and forth and do it a few times before you tie it all together. So, uh, but it was really interesting to watch that, uh, progress over time as they did more and more shows. Uh, and secondly was just, it's kind of like the public speaking. Uh, and you could, you could hear how, how tentative they were in their first shows. And then you could also, hear them progress as they did. Uh, they got more and more comfortable with the gear being in front of a microphone and, uh, you know, not so self-conscious the whole time. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, on a couple of our episodes, I was like, well, you know, any of the students, you have questions? And they're like, 
uh, and so we have the uh, you know, unawkward pause, and you know I have to try and edit out some of that stuff and and, and that kind of thing. But I, I learned I was like, you know what? Hey, let's let's take the day before or a couple days before. Let's write out questions. You know, for the chiropractor guy that came. Uh, we watched some YouTube videos so that we could say, okay, this is what a chiropractor does. You know, what are some things, some questions you might have for him? They rewrote those out. They typed them up in Google Docs, like you said. Uh, and so then they're part of the show. They're sitting there in front of the mics and they have assigned questions. So this student's going to ask this question. This student's going to ask this question. This student's going to, instead of like, uh, I, I have a question and then, you know, they're, and now we've got headphones so that they can hear what they sound like on the mic and, Man, it's it, it was a huge learning curve, and you know, it's one thing learning to do it myself, but learning to teach kids to do it to sound well, uh, sound good, well, good, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a completely different story, and so yeah, that I, was I would, a question somebody had recently uh, on one of our shows, the uh, the sports show that that we did briefly. Uh, one of the hosts was talking, so why do I need these headphones? I can hear the guy. He's sitting at the table right with me. Why do I need headphones? And I explained to him that when he's not, and there he is right behind Sean right now. I'm talking about you, Zach. Uh, right. He says, uh, he says, you know, why do I need these headphones? I said, because without them, you're always all around like this, and we can't hear a word you're saying because you're moving all over the mic, and you don't know, we can't hear what you're saying. It's important to know what you sound like so that you know when you're on mic and off mic, and, and you For can sure. hear a kid like that. Uh, who doesn't have the mic and he'll start talking and I'm just kind of lean over here and then he's just still talking over here and then he comes back over here and he doesn't have a clue. Yeah, we're popping real, real heavy into the mic, things like that. Or he's leaning in and he's talking like this and you can't tell. <laughs> so anyway, headphones are an important part of the process. Well, uh, Jeremy, this isn't in the notes, uh, but uh, I just thought we've got this opportunity here. Uh, you have a podcast in a classroom podcast inspired by what we did. Uh, do you have any questions that you want to ask us from your, you know, year now of, of experimenting with it, that, the things that you, uh, that we didn't answer the first time. And, and maybe there's a listener out there who, who needs to hear it. Well, I, w- I was listening last week and you were talking to professor master about the uh, podcasting book you're going to write. And you know, that sounds, or the audio podcast book you're going to record. Okay. That, you know, that sounds really interesting because to me, it's like, hey, there's always something I can learn about this because, you know, we're just getting this thing started and I really want to catch on there. Um, so, man, I wish I'd thought about this question beforehand. <laughs> but That's all right. I, I, I like to pull things on people and make them uh, think. But uh, interesting. You answered the one earlier about the the alias off, running off of Windows XP. And honestly, I don't think I would have ever figured out that you can't use the USB on Windows 7 because it just wouldn't make sense. Right. You know, just, uh, that doesn't make sense. And so I, I saw that off your blog, and that's something that's really important. If, you, if you're mimicking you, you guys' equipment, you need to know you have to have a computer under run XP, right? Well, yeah, for this particular board, well, it's actually it's an Audacity issue. Um, oh. Audacity, uh, there's there's types of drivers inside windows there's the direct sound drivers and the asio drivers and uh the asio drivers are not free they are they're licensed the audacity product team hasn't licensed those so they can't compile audacity with asio support so if you get a board or an interface card that requires that um audacity can't handle it and windows 7 
does not include the old direct sound drivers. They only have the ASIO drivers anymore. So using uh, that equipment in Windows 7, you can't use Audacity. But uh, XP can go back to the direct sound uh, drivers and do that. So it's a it's a crazy licensing thing. It's not a tech, technical limitation. It's a it's a licensing limitation. So you can use something other than Audacity, and and do what you need to do. Something like Cool Edit Pro or uh, well, where'd that come from? 1977. Uh, uh, something like Pro Tools or or uh, uh, something Reaper. One of those uh, tools will work fine, but Audacity can't do it for uh, legal reasons. All right. Did that make any sense at all, or did I just babble? Uh, well, I think you're a little bit more technical than I <laughs> than I understand at that point. <laughs> and, and so I understand you're saying it's a problem between Audacity and right the deal. So I understand the concept, but not completely. I understand. Well, and interestingly, I, after you asked that question, I opened my audio book uh, in Google Docs and put, wrote a section in there about that. Thought that's something that that'll need to be discussed uh, as I start recording that. Yes, yes, I'm in the audiobook. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there was a fist pump. I know you can't see me, but it was a good fist pump there. Um, okay, so uh, any other um, questions or comments? I mean, we, we've kind of run through our notes uh, here, but I'm also I'm fascinated with what you're doing there. I, I always like, uh, we've done a number of sessions and, and things about uh, students podcasting and Sean did it with his kids, but I've never heard from anybody else who's actually doing it. It always ends up being the teacher doing it after hours rather than somebody actually doing it with, with podcasting. So tell me, um, what top two things you wish you would have known before you started that can help somebody out who's wanting to start this with their kids. It was before I ever started. Right. Mm. Things that if you had known would have made your life easier that you had to learn the hard way. Well, if I don't, I don't know if I can have just two, but but I'll okay. work on it, and, and maybe we well, can do five. It down. <laughs> uh, one thing is the equipment. Like I said, I wrote multiple grants. There was about two or three of them to donors choose, and and one through the Education Foundation at the school, and uh, all of those totaled almost three thousand dollars. You know, I saw I bought a, a new computer, and uh, like I said, I have about six mics and mic stands, and the pop filters, and the cables, and uh, a couple other things. Uh, so just having the right equipment, just saying, okay, these are the pieces that I need because I was like, oh, great. Now I have to buy another cable to run this from there or, you know, I have to have this hooked up this way. So I think your your list that, that you have is pretty, pretty good, but um, it just, I guess you have to be able to adapt it for, for what you're doing. Uh, you know, it has to say, you know, three, four, or five microphones, three, four, five uh, stands. And so having all the equipment at one time is a really good start. Right. I think the other, the biggest thing for with kids is I heard Sean talk about it. He he had his kids listening to podcasts and then, then they kind of start uh, thinking about ideas, what they would like to do, something that they really want to talk about, and then uh, creating the show notes. That was... That was probably the next hardest thing. And they're still not completely uh, fluent with creating show notes because like, oh, yeah, we'll just kind of talk about this. Well, you know, you're going to actually on tomorrow. That's why I'm going in half a day. We're going to record their student podcast 
as a trial run. So we're going to record it. And then that way they can say, oh, yeah, I really need to add some more content here or I need to, you know, sit closer to the mic here because they've been on the mic before, but they need to prepare better. And so I would say maybe those are my two big things. Knowing, having all your equipment ready and and not like, well, you know, let's have these four people try and share one mic and then they start jostling it around or, you know, they can't hear each other because I didn't have the headphone amp when we first started. so. I only had one set of headphones, and now we got, you know, eight or nine sets of headphones and splitters coming out. So, <laughs> nine sets of headphones—that's that's wild. Yeah, I got the Behringer eight uh, eight headphone. No, is it is eight. Yeah, I think it's eight headphone amp, and then you have a extension cable, and then a, a splitter on the end of that, so you can have two kids sitting in a mic with <laughs> each of them had headphones. That's awesome. So, uh, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to put words in your mouth here, but if, uh, if I'm hearing what you're saying, right, uh, there's two things there that can go hand in hand. You, you said, get your gear together first and, and then have your kids prepare better ahead of time. So there's, you can do a lot in teaching podcasting before you ever get your gear. So you can teach them about the preparation and the notes and even do dry runs and stuff while you're assembling your gear. So then wait till you get all your stuff and then take them into the quote-unquote studio. Would would that be some advice you would give, piecing together things you just said there? That's why you're the man, Mark. <laughs> I think that's pretty much exactly what I was trying to say there. Just really the preparation. You, you don't, until you've done it, you don't know, well, I need to prepare more so, that, so I can be more prepared for the kids to prepare more. So. Yeah, I know. Even in uh, preparation for this show, and usually when I get guests uh, lined up and I, I share the show notes out to them, uh, it's funny because even with the adults, I, I see some of the same issues in that uh, they very often want to turn the show notes into a script and something that maybe they're going to read from or uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to specifically read word-for-word questions. And uh, I, so I try to get that through to our guests, and I did it with the students as well, is that it's not a script that you're going to read from. It's you're, you're making bullet points to outline discussion points, just, you know, main ideas and that the, uh, the show should come a, across as more of a conversation and it, sh- it needs to really sound conversational. Um, and the students seem to have a hard time wrapping their head around that. Uh, they were so nervous uh, about getting in front of the mic that they wanted to have a script. They wanted to have something in front of them that they could just read from. And uh, it, it took a little while to get past that hurdle. Do you have any any tips for that? Because that's another great question. Is even even my other coworker, you know, I'll, I'll I do most of the uh, show notes, um, and so we have several episodes where he's had the same question, um, but he he'll still say he'll still read it word for word. Have you had any other jobs? If so, why not? Well, they just answered. You know, they used to work here, here, and here, so it's right. kind of like. Do you have any any tips for me there and obviously anybody listening? Uh, The one thing I did that seemed to work well with the students is I kind of reverse engineered that process. So what I did is I set them up in front of the recording gear and I said, okay, you're at lunch. Have a conversation. And 
so I, I one that helped get them used to just being in, in front of the in front of the mic, having the gear in front of them, and they literally would just talk about whatever they talked about Justin Bieber or you know whatever was going on in their life, who was dating who or whatever. But we would record it all, and then we'd go back after the fact and listen to it and say, okay, this might be a bullet point in your notes. This might be a bullet point in your notes. So you could kind of build that in backwards, so you can say, see, this sounds like a great conversation. And uh, especially uh, since they're trying to make a product for people, their peers, the people their age, uh, now uh, this is the sound that you want the show to, you know, you want it to sound conversational. It's, it's more interesting that way. Then go back in, build those bullet points in. Then they get a better feel for, ah, okay, now that makes sense. Um, and then have them try and go back and do, do the reverse. So uh, that's the way I did it. That seemed to... Uh, one help quite a bit with their stage fright and two uh kind of tie the the two ideas together as far as show notes and uh not being a script that'll work all right guys anything else i'm i i could do this all night uh well i i'm I, sure if i don't know if there's anything else if, if we're talking about anything else i might come across something but uh, well, uh, Jeremy, I, I see you have this down here, and I know you were kind of talking with Mark about this uh, before the show, but uh, uh, we always like to talk uh, smoked meat, so I see you had some questions about that. Well, that's the most important thing. Let's get all this tech out of the way and talk barbecue. Right. Yeah, that's, that, you know, that's why I saved it for the end, because it would be the show. If you talked about that at the beginning, nobody would listen. So what questions did you want to ask me about my meat smoking activities? Oh, well, I guess we had that. We had the conversation earlier, but uh, I have a a big six-foot pit that I kind of inherited uh, from somebody moving out of the country. And, you know, I was saying I, I enjoy smelling like smoke, but <laughs> but Mark was telling me, you know, he cooked the salmon filet. My wife loves salmon. I can't stand it. But... He, for an hour or an hour and a half worth of cooking, he just flipped on the switch, smoked his salmon, and flipped the switch back off, and he was done. I would have had to start a fire, wait an hour for the pit to equalize, and throw the salmon on for an hour, and then the pit's still hot for another couple hours. So, yeah, so I, I really like For, the, the, for uh, those of you who don't know what he's talking about, I've, I've mentioned it on the show before, but just before Christmas, I built myself uh, a quasi-hybrid electric smoker. Uh, it's uh, made of wood with a, a sheet metal steel lining and has just uh, some cheap uh, single burner hot plates from the ho from the hardware store as the heat source. I throw a metal pan in there with some wood chunks, and that provides the smoke. And so once you get that thing dialed in, you can flip a switch, and it sits right at whatever temperature you want. So I you know, I, I keep mine generally around 225. So uh, just, uh, just yesterday for the Super Bowl, I cooked uh, a brisket, had to... Uh, a big 13-pound brisket that my wife bought. So I wanted to cook it roughly 24 hours. So Saturday, before uh, uh, right about the time that I was going to eat it on Sunday, I went out there, I filled the pan up with uh, chunks of wood, I put the meat on, I flipped the switch, I walked away, I came back 24 hours later. How many of you out there with the standard smoker pit, or fire pit, firebox uh, pit can say that you've ever done that? Now it, uh, you may say that I'm un-American for that, but I say that I had a nice, uh, leisurely day and not had to sit out there and smell like smoke all day. So, so with your wood chunks, do you ever have to replenish them? Cause I know even 
like if you're smoking on a thing, they say add wood chips every hour or whatever, but that's with the fire. So yeah, you have to well, replace um, wood chips. If you use just like tiny chips, um, they'll last four to six hours, put out a lot of smoke for a short period of time. But if you get the big chunks or, uh, or, you know, split some, you know, some wood, some guys, uh, one of my former students was cutting down some red oak trees on his property and I had him bring me some, some scrap wood from it. So I, uh, just, uh, those are just in little discs, like, uh, uh, ashtray sized disc. I just throw those in there and they'll last, uh, hundred hours or so before they burn up. Uh, so, wow. you know, you can, I could smoke five briskets on them and not, not ever worry about it. So yeah, it's, uh, it really is lazy man smoked meat, but, uh, it sure does taste good. Well, I, I go through logs. I mean, I, we have a apple orchard that down in one of the cities close to us that I'll every uh, year. Wood is good stuff. Yeah. I'll go down there and cut the wood. He says, Hey, you can do all the work and take all the wood. So I go down there and trim the trees and stuff like that. And I mean, you know, it, it burns through it pretty quick when you're using the fire, but. From what I have now, if, if I did it your way, I could smoke from now till the day I die without cutting trees again. Right. A good fireplace-sized log chopped up into chunks would last three or four smoking sessions easy. Nice. Like I said, one my, once my firebox burns out, I'm going to consider doing this. So, so in 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 smoking daily, uh, Pete in the chat uh, chat room is uh, asking: Is the oxygen restricted or is the burn rate restricted by the low temp? It's both. It's just a pan that gets hot, so it never really gets hot enough to ignite the wood, just smolder it. But also, I don't vent my smoker at all. It's just a sealed box. I mean, it's not sealed. It's just a closed box. I didn't seal it up with caulk or anything. The the joints are just butt joints, so there's plenty of room there for air to get in and out and and smoke. But the combination of oxygen restriction and the fact that it never really reaches the uh, full ignition point of the smoke uh, of the wood makes it just smolder for that's why it lasts so long. It never ignites. Yeah, because we're talking about temperatures usually about uh, what, 200 to 220? Right. Probably right in there. But of course, the pan itself is significantly hotter than that. So the wood, yeah, the, the ignition point of most hardwoods is around 450, 460. Uh, and so this, I'm going to guess that internal pan temperature is like 400, 380. Uh, so it's hot enough to, to smoke and smolder, but it never burns. And that's, you know, again, it lasts a long time that way. Every now and then I, I got a stick in there. I just poke it and stir the ashes around a little bit and it starts billowing smoke again. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for Smokers <laughs> Weekly. <laughs> I, I just want it known. I did not bring this up. It was, uh, Jeremy put it in the notes, and Pete's asking in the chat room. So I'm happy yes. to talk about it for the next three hours, but uh, I didn't bring it up. Oh, uh, and uh, Mark, the bacon. I, I have to know. you. You, The bacon was, that was good. Me. The bacon was awesome. Oh, sorry. Uh, I made my own bacon. I, I, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on this show or not. I uh, found a raw, uncured pork belly skin on. Uh, made up my own cure with a little sodium nitrate and, and spices, uh, and regular salt, cured it for about 12 days, then put it on the smoker for a day or so at a very low temperature. Basically, I unplugged half of it. So instead of 225, it was kicking around about 115. Um, so it just, it just still was enough to, to get smoke on the wood. And so I just let it go and it. And so I had uh, hickory smoked bacon. Sliced it up nice and thick with the deli slicer. It was awesome. Um, 
and I'm looking forward to doing it again. And by the time I had it all done, said and done, I had to special order the thing and pay overnight shipping because you can't three day ship a piece of meat. Um, and, and by the time I had done all that, I paid slightly less than I would pay for in the grocery store for much higher quality, uh, product. Nice. The downside is you can, you can't buy five pounds of pork belly. They send you a pork belly, which is 20 pounds or 15 <laughs> pounds or something like that. So, you know, that's, I'm sorry, that's a downside. Yeah. You know, no. <laughs> there's the whole cholesterol issue because there's no such thing as extra bacon. So right. you cook it all up and now you have to eat 20 pounds of bacon. <laughs> And there, uh, you, you've got pictures of that posted in the forums. That I do at elementop.com. You can go in there. I have a, there's a bacon forum. Uh, <laughs> Pete says that 15 pounds would last me a week. Seriously, we ate three pounds in a weekend. I have myself, my wife, and my children are nine, seven, and three. And between us, we ate three pounds of meat over Saturday and Sunday. Three pounds of bacon. We had BLTs. We had BLs minus the T's. We had everything you could imagine. And we had bacon six ways from Sunday. And then, um, you know, my wife made up a, a, a pot of beans and we threw the, the, the lardons, the things that, uh, weren't, uh, right size to cut into strips of bacon. We threw those in there and, and seasoned the, the, uh, the bacon, uh, the beans that way. It was just really, really good. So there you go. All right. I may start a cooking podcast next. So anyway, yeah. elementop.com. That's where you can find out more about actual tech stuff. If you're interested, um, you can uh, find out, uh, more about other shows that we do. <laughs> Ironically, I also do a health and fitness podcast where I talk about how you shouldn't eat bacon. Uh, and, uh, and we do other shows and, and I'm not kidding. I'm seriously considering adding maybe a monthly. I couldn't do it weekly, uh, food podcast, which would be cool. Uh, get all you guys out there who are foodies and, and join in. But anyway, elementop.com. Check us out there. There's uh, also a contact us button right at the top where you can send us an email. If you have a question or a comment, if you want to, uh, Jeremy can, can attest to you. He sent me a number of emails when he was first getting started and, uh, I was happy to answer him and help him uh, out. Uh, people email me pretty much, uh, uh, every week about things and, and I, I'm prompt to get on those things and answer them because we're, we're your servants here. We want to help you. So every time one of you people succeeds at what we taught you to do, then, uh, an angel gets his wings or something like that. So <laughs> use the contact button, send us an email, or if you want to be, uh, have a voice on the show in a literal sense, you can click the leave us a voicemail button there, enter your phone number, name is optional, and Google Voice will call you if you live within the continental U.S. and Canada, and uh, they will. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail and we will play it on the show. Yay. Anything I left out, gentlemen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the <laughs> tips. If we're going to go there. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, see, you, it was such a good lead-in, though, when you mentioned the forums. I know it really was. I, uh, I apologize. Uh, yeah, I kind of led you into that. I forgot okay. about the tips of the week. Okay, so we'll go back and do that. And this is a good one, actually. This week, um, in, in lieu of uh, Apple's grab of all your stuff, Google has a new site, google.com slash takeout. Where with one button push, I'm not getting one button push, you can download all your content that Google has. All your contacts, all your Google Docs will be down, translated to PDFs or, or whatever you choose there. All your uh, pictures from Google+, Plus, everything will be downloaded all in one shot. So if anybody wants to accuse Google of, of locking in your data, uh, just send them to google.com slash takeout. So all your base are belong to you. Yay! We like things like that. 
Uh, well, I'm. Uh, it's funny. My tip is uh, kind of along the same lines. It's uh, Google centric. Uh, this is, uh, but it's not put out by Google. It is Google Trips. Google. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. GoogleLitTrips.com. So uh, Google L I T Trips.com. If, if that makes any sense kind of like literature and it'll make sense here as I describe this. But uh, basically what this gentleman has done, he's taken a site and, uh, or, or better said, you know, uh, Google earth has this function where you can kind of like put together your own uh, tour of a place. So you can kind of uh, go in there and have uh, like, maybe you took a tour of China or uh, some foreign country or whatever, but you can put together your own tour. Well, what this gentleman's done is he's gone back through and taken like uh, famous stories or famous literary works uh, that had some sort of uh, travel related to it. So uh, uh, like the Iliad or something like that. And uh, he, he maps them out in Google earth. So you can actually go in and uh, follow along like the grapes of wrath and you can follow uh, the, the same, tr the same path that the characters in these stories have, have taken. And, uh, uh, it, it's really, uh, very interesting. He's done a bunch of them. I, I don't even know exactly how many, but there's a bunch of them there. He's constantly working on more. Um, so if you're into that kind of thing, I mean, Google earth is a little bit of a hog, I have to say. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you'll have to decide whether or not you want to download Google earth. You do need to get download Google earth to run this. Uh, but uh, very neat thing. So uh, check it out, googlelittrips.com. All right. And you mentioned gu Grapes of Wrath, and being the parent, my mind immediately went to Veggie Tales, and I started singing the song, <laughs> yeah. We Are the Grapes of Wrath, We Never Take a Bath. There's no escape from cranky grapes. We are the grapes of wrath. Uh, <laughs> I hear it's also a book. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> So uh, yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's a neat thing, and uh, this is you know somebody else out there that's uh, doing a great thing, trying to uh, help out education. So awesome, great tips this week. Yeah. So okay. Any, anything that else that we need to add? What, had you, let me cut you off anymore. Anything else we need to do? Uh, Jeremy, last words, great pearls of wisdom you want to drop on us. What do you got for us? Uh, I would say maybe there's two things. One. I put my bacon comment in the show notes there. This is, this is great. Bacon is like the duct tape of food. It's nice. just fix anything. But <laughs> outside of that, I would say uh, find somebody to, to fund your, your project. Because, like I said, donors choose or education foundation. Uh, find somebody to fund it. Go for it. And don't be afraid to... Uh, mess up or ask for help as you know that's why i'm here with you guys right now to ask for help <laughs> yeah that's good advice there are people out there with money looking that they're looking to donate give them something to donate to all right sean what about you uh just uh as always another great show all right and having received the great show stamp thus spaketh the sean <laughs> <laughs> We must conclude said show, and so I will say, on behalf of our guest, Jeremy Jackson, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. 